Greetings, this is podcast number 49 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today we're going to talk about the relationship between George Bush, Hugo Chavez, Jesus Christ, and heavy crude oil. Cryptic? I'll make it crystal clear. Oh, let's get right into it. There are two things longtime listeners know I'm truly passionate about. One of them is economic justice, particularly as it relates to the oppression and exploitation of the third world poor. In past podcasts, we've discussed how the U.S. and other Western industrialized nations have, since colonial times, economically enslaved third world and developing nations and still to this very day do their best to destroy whichever of them even hint at trying to throw off their chains. I've spoken often of Hugo Chavez of Venezuela, who is indeed now trying to throw off his nation's chains and is accordingly being demonized by the right wing. The other area I'm passionate about, and haven't spoken enough about, is the utter hypocrisy of right-wing Christians who from the roots of their right-wing ideology to the fruits of their policies violate the most fundamental of the teachings of Jesus regarding how we are to interact with our brother and sister humans. These teachings are most powerfully expressed in the 25th book of Matthew verses 31 to 46, the parable of the sheep and the goats. On Judgment Day, Jesus will gather the nations before him, the sheep on the right, the goats on the left. Judgment will be based on how they treated the hungry, the naked, the thirsty, the sick, the least of these. It is in this parable that Jesus uttered the words, As you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. To those who pass the test, Jesus grants access to his kingdom, to eternal life, to heaven. Those who do not pass the test, Jesus condemns to everlasting fire, to everlasting punishment, to hell. Even if, like me, you are not a Christian, it is well worth being familiar with this passage one of world spirituality's most extraordinary expressions of a fundamental moral truth concerning economic justice. Podcasts 9 and 10 treat this subject in more depth. Obviously, my two passions are linked. One of the ways right-wing pseudo-Christians violate Matthew 25 is in their eager and violent oppression of the third world. Well, I just came across a piece written by Gary Vance, who's an evangelical pastor and writer in rural Tennessee. It combines in, oh, how delicious a way, my two passions, economic justice for the third world poor 
and the Matthew 25 based hypocrisy of right wing Christians. His theological reflection was published by CommonDreams.org, a must go to site for progressives. It will provide the springboard to examine my two passions through the prism of a present day intersection of and battleground over the two, Hugo Chavez's Venezuela. My sources for this segment will be cited as we get to them. The article, which I've slightly abridged, quote, The Judgment of Bush and Chavez by Gary Vance Imagine with me for a moment that Presidents George Bush and Hugo Chavez both died and found themselves in line waiting to go before Jesus for the judgment of their souls. Both men are shocked and perplexed to find themselves face to face in this climactic moment of their eternal destinies. Their relationship had always been distant, strained, and antagonistic toward one another primarily due to their opposing ideologies. Bush had become the most powerful leader on the planet and was infamous for conquering a hapless nation that sat on one of Earth's largest oil reserves. He was feared and hated by most nations. Chavez was president of a small nation that also sat on a large oil reserve. He was renowned for using oil profits to provide humanitarian assistance to his own nation and many others. He was feared and hated by the Bush administration and some fundamentalist preachers. Both men were professing Christians. They were eyeing one another warily when suddenly their names were called. They were ushered directly into the presence of Jesus, who sat on a great white throne. His glory and splendor was beyond description. Both men were awestruck and speechless as his piercing gaze penetrated their souls. The two men stood side by side facing Jesus. Jesus began speaking. George and Ugo, you stand before me today to give an account for your lives and to be judged accordingly. It is no ironic coincidence that brings you both before me today. I seldom have the opportunity to judge two at once who are so opposite yet claim to be my followers. Talk is cheap. Let's see how well you have been following me. Both men were obviously afraid, and neither dared to look directly at him. Jesus motioned with his right hand to Hugo Chavez and said, Welcome to my kingdom. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. Then Chavez asked, Lord, when did I do these things for you? Jesus replied, Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You were given stewardship over a vast treasure, and you used it to bring help to the sick and impoverished. You have done justly, loved mercy, and walked humbly before me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus then turned towards George W. Bush and motioned with his left hand and said, 
Gary Vance ends his piece at this point. I don't know if it was he or the Common Dreams editor that decided to make the rest implicit rather than explicit. Since as many of you out there have no doubt become aware, I don't like implicit, so here's the Jack Clark explicit ending. Jesus then turned towards George W. Bush and motioned with his left hand and was about to speak when George interrupted. Excuse me, Lord, if you don't mind, I'd like to try to lighten up the mood here a bit. I have a joke. Jesus incredulously asked, You have a joke? George says, Yes, there's this line I once used when speaking to some rich dude supporters of mine. What I said was, An all-knowing Jesus interrupts George. No need to tell me, George. I can replay it now. And then all present here. This is an impressive crowd, the haves and the have-mores. <laughs> Some people call you the elite. I call you my base. <laughs> George starts to chuckle, but the look on Jesus' face puts a quick stop to that. Jesus is decidedly not pleased. You and your rich dude supporters may have thought that was funny, but I did not, George. As I was about to say, you are not welcome in my kingdom. I was hungry, and you did not give me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you did not give me something to drink. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick, and you did not look after me. George plaintively asks, Lord, when did I not do these things for you? Jesus replies, Whatever you did not do for the least of these brothers of mine, you did not for me. You were given stewardship over a vast treasure, and you used it to bring comfort to the already affluent at the expense of helping the sick and the impoverished. And even worse, you have viciously attacked those like Hugo Chavez who were helping my beloved least of these. George W. Bush, you have not done justly, you have not loved mercy, and you have not walked humbly before me. Despite what you may think, you are not my good and faithful servant. And then come the words a truly and justifiably petrified George W. Bush fears the most. I think you know where you are headed now, George. The End Let's take a short break now. In my line of work, you got to keep repeating things over and over and over again. You got to catapult the propaganda. Catapult the propaganda. Charles Dolfer has now issued a comprehensive report that confirms the earlier conclusion of David Kay that Iraq did not have the weapons that our intelligence believed were there. Um, it turned... Okay, 
the parable you just heard would, of course, apply to all the other phony right-wing Christians who are viciously attacking Hugo Chavez, like Pat Robertson, who has openly called for his assassination. You know, I don't know about this doctrine of assassination, but if he thinks we're trying to assassinate him, I think that we really ought to go ahead and do it. Why would self-professed Christians like George Bush and Pat Robertson and all the other right-wingers be so on the warpath against Chavez, who is, after all, doing what Jesus commanded them to do in Matthew 25? If my and Gary Vance's theological prognostications are correct, what could compel these right-wingers to risk, according to their own holy scripture, eternal damnation? Suffice it to say here that there are two powerful and related reasons for the right's antagonism towards Chavez. The first reason is hinted at in this passage from an article by Maddie Weiss in the Minneapolis Star Tribune. You can, if you like, check out podcast number 18 for an entire show devoted to this aspect of Hugo Chavez's rule. Here's what Weiss wrote, quote, Under democratically elected President Hugo Chavez, instead of Venezuela's oil wealth, being used to enrich a tiny percentage of wealthy families, that wealth is being used to improve the lives of the poor majority in that country. Huge numbers of people, for the first time in their lives, have free and adequate health care, the opportunity to attend university, access to land grants and work contracts, constitutionally assured rights for women and indigenous people, and free breakfast programs for children. And with all this, a sense of dignity and ownership over their lives. Close quote. In short, the least of these are being helped. John Pilger, in the British newspaper The Guardian, writes in a similar vein, quote, Under Hugo Chavez, Venezuela is the first major oil producer to use its oil revenue to liberate the poor. Mavis Mendez has seen, in her 95 years, a parade of governments preside over the theft of tens of billions of dollars in oil spoils, much of it flown to Miami, together with the steepest descent into poverty ever known in Latin America from 18% in 1980 to 65% in 1995, three years before Chavez was elected. She said, quote, We didn't matter in a human sense. We lived and died without real education and running water and food we couldn't afford. When we fell ill, the weakest died. In the east of the city, where the mansions are, we were invisible or we were feared. Now I can read and write my name, and so much more. And whatever the rich and their media say, we have planted the seeds of a true democracy, and I am full of joy that I have lived to witness it. Close quote. Providing the poor with food, clean water, education, and medical care, that's what Chavez is doing. All the right-wing self-professed Christians should be supporting Chavez. Instead, 
Maddie Weiss makes explicit why this makes Chavez a target for the right. Quote, Millions across Venezuela have experienced tangible, visible change in their lives over the last several years. But while these changes have made Chavez a hero in the eyes of Venezuela's poor majority, they have made him an enemy in the White House. It makes Washington's blood boil that Chavez not only denounces its global mandates of fiscal austerity, structural adjustment, and radical privatization, but that Venezuela has the resources to successfully enact its own development model. So while Venezuela sows its oil, Washington is sowing the seeds to unseat Chavez. It is building up the case for invasion, a coup, or an assassination. Close quote. In other words, as Pilger also points out, Venezuela is a bad example, a bad example that the U.S. must destroy, just like it destroyed the Sandinista Revolution in Nicaragua. Quote, Chavez is, of course, a threat, especially to the United States. Like the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, he offers the threat of an alternative way of developing a decent society. In other words, the threat of a good example in a continent where the majority of humanity has long suffered a Washington-designed peonage. In the U.S. media in the 1980s, the threat of tiny Nicaragua was seriously debated until it was crushed. Venezuela is clearly being softened up for something similar. A U.S. Army publication, Doctrine for Asymmetric War Against Venezuela, describes Chavez and the Bolivarian Revolution as the largest threat since the Soviet Union and communism. When I said to Chavez that the U.S. historically had had its way in Latin America, he replied, quote, Yes, and my assassination would come as no surprise. But the empire is in trouble, and the people of Venezuela will resist an attack. We ask only for the support of all true Democrats. Close quote. A Washington-designed peonage. What a nice turn of phrase. Right-wing-controlled Washington is terrified that other non-Western nations may get some dangerous ideas from Chavez's Venezuela. They might want to escape their Washington-designed peonage as well. What about reason number two for the right's hatred of Chavez? Back in podcast 18, I only discussed the bad example reason of helping the poor. But since then, I've learned of another bad example Chavez intends to set. Let's go on to this second and related reason why Hugo Chavez makes the rights blood boil. And as you will hear, Chavez will be in a world-dominating position to do so. It all relates to what kind of oil will be coming into use by the world and how it will be sold. 
to learn about this. We could do no better than to listen to investigative super reporter Greg Pallast being interviewed by KPFK's Terence McNally. The occasion is the publication of Pallast's new book, Armed Madhouse. A visit to Pallast's website, gregpallast.com, will well reward your time. In this interview, Pallast and McNally are speaking about the world's impending shift from light crude to heavy crude oil. According to the inside documents, one thing you'll find in, in our madhouse is a lot of inside documents where I actually show them to you. And this is very important for understanding the war in Iraq and the, war, and the coming war in Venezuela. Okay, according to the U.S. Department of Energy, in a document that they don't want you to see that I got a hold of, 90% of the world's heavy crude, heavy oil, is in Venezuela. 90%. And, and that amount of oil is five times as much as the total reserves of Saudi Arabia. Okay, now, now that is a blockbuster piece of that information. Is a, that, and, and I went over that, and I met with uh, President Chavez last month in Caracas. The issue there is not how much oil we have or not, but who's going to get killed over the oil where. That's a real big issue, because um, George Bush's um, idea of, of uh, exploring for oil is to have Reverend Pat Robertson run out and say, Hugo Chavez thinks you're trying to assassinate him, and I think we ought to just go out and do it. And that, that is the real issue, the next oil war. Wow. Chavez will control 90% of the world's heavy crude oil, according to Pallast. The Associated Press, perhaps not privy to the documents Pallast uncovered, has previously confirmed the existence of at least the world's largest heavy crude reserves in Venezuela. The, quote, Orinoco Tar Belt also is believed to hold an additional 270 billion barrels of unconventional extra-heavy oil which could make Venezuela home to the world's largest crude reserves if certified and proved commercially viable." Close quote. If having more oil than Saudi Arabia doesn't put a triple supersized target on Chavez's back, whatever could? Well, there is something that could make the target even bigger. Here's Pallast and McNally again. What some people don't know is that when, up until 1970, America was the largest producer of oil in the world. Yeah. At the point at which it no longer was, it made a deal that basically set up OPEC with Saudi Arabia and other countries. And the rule was you had to trade oil in U.S. dollars, which meant that while we no longer led in energy, we basically were the banker. We were in control. Petrodollars. Um, right. Saddam Hussein was going off of the dollar onto the euro. We see what happened to him. Chavez, what is his status right now with regard to the euro, the well, dollar, etc.? Well, the most important thing, it's not so much the question of which currency he's going to take. He has said to me, look, King Abdullah turns all his dollars back to the United States. In other words, basically, we, pay, uh, we paid a quarter trillion dollars last year to OPEC countries um, the Middle East returned every, by the way, every single penny of that came back in treasury bills and other U.S. investments from the Mideast. It just cycled right back, and that's what funded George Bush's oil wars, tax cuts for the rich, war toys, you name it. 
That's what Bush depends on to keep his scheme alive, is the petrodollar addiction. It's not the addiction to oil, it's the addiction to the petrodollar. Exactly. Hugo Chavez put, is putting uh, George Bush on notice that it's going to be cold turkey, baby, if, when, the, when the shift comes to Venezuelan oil. And in fact, Hugo Chavez with, not only says, that he says, I'll, I'll sell you, by the way, oil cheaper than Saudi Arabia. That's right, he's, he's offering it right now at 50 bucks, isn't he? That's right. But he said, but you don't get the dollars. The dollars for Venezuela stay in Venezuela and in Latin America to build our nation and our continent. The dollars stay in Venezuela and in Latin America to build our nation and our continent. Now, I ask you, dear listeners, what kind of insanity is that? It seems perfectly obvious to me that God put all those gazillions of barrels of heavy crude oil in Venezuela to benefit the United States. Ugo, baby, what kind of a communist that needs to be assassinated do you have to be not to understand that? What's wrong with you, Senor Chavez? Listen on. He withdrew twenty billion dollars from the U.S. Federal Reserve. So, I mean, the, by the way, let me dollars, just say, but let he me just see. won't give them back. Greg, hold on. What that means is Venezuela had invested mm-hmm. previously, is what you're saying, in bonds, in those sorts of things. The same 30, thing yeah. that, the, that, the, that the that the Middle Eastern com- countries are doing. The same thing that China right. is doing, and he pulled out. So he what he's saying out is, and he relent the money to Argentina and Ecuador. I'll sell you my oil at a better price. But I won't buy your bonds. He said, no more. We can't be an oil colony anymore. I'm happy to give you oil. And, in fact, to low-income communities in the U.S. will give further discounts. But he said, we have to recreate our country. We can't keep giving you back the money. See, that's what it's really about. We can't be an oil colony anymore. Just like Bolivia doesn't want to be a natural gas colony. See podcast number 42. And every other third world nation doesn't want to be whatever type of colony it presently is. If other nations follow Venezuela's lead, the money they earn on the global market for their natural resources won't automatically flow back to the United States in the form of treasury bonds and other investments. They will invest in their own nations, in their own people's well-being, in the well-being especially of the least of those among them. Okay, Pallast and McNally conclude. Let me just ask one last question. This is a yes or no. Would you agree that what we've seen is Osama morphed into Saddam and Saddam will soon morph into Chavez? Yeah, they're, 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 Saddaming, they're Saddaming Chavez. Look out. Saddaming Chavez. A process clearly already underway by the right. In fact, I say if we weren't bogged down in Iraq, we'd have already attacked Venezuela. So there you have it. Now you understand what George Bush, Hugo Chavez, Jesus Christ, and heavy crude oil have to do with each other. And you can watch perhaps in awe like me, as Bush and all the rest of the right-wing pseudo-Christians 
according to their own holy scripture, ever more conclusively and irrevocably seal their Matthew 25 doom. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right. And remember to vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link for each of those on the podcast homepage. You can get to the podcast homepage by searching for Blast the Right in Google. Hello to all you live 365 listeners out there. Why don't you come on over to the podcast homepage, sign up for free, and you can download and listen to any episode of the podcast anytime you want. You don't need an iPod. You can listen right on your computer as long as you know how to play an MP3 file. A special shout out to all the listeners on WUTZ in Summertown, Tennessee. Music credits. The bumper music was Catapult the Propaganda by Nye's Music. We'll end the podcast with a little bit of Taking My Country Back by Honky Tonkers for Truth. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Your email just keeps getting better and better. Keep it coming in. Write to me, rational at adelphia.net. You can also call in and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also Skype me at Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. We had a bundle in the treasury drawer More than there had ever been before But every day we're drowning deeper in death Maybe four years should be all you get Then you gave tax breaks to the millionaires And you tried to make the working man pay But you can't tax a man when his job's not there Now look at where we are today Hey, I'm taking my country back Son, you ain't been doing her right Oh, I've been watching you and I don't like How you've been treating my stars and stripes Saudis treat you like you're royalty You blew the budget and you bossed